Good evening. It's always, uh, you know, hearing him say all those nice things about me makes me wish I had nice things to say about him. Um, I actually do. Uh, where Liz, is Liz still here? She's gone out. She, yeah, I, don't, I don't blame her. I, just to say, like, they, uh, Dave and Liz, they really have uh, just been a massive influence in my life. Actually, before uh, I knew them, uh, him, uh, Dave and Liz, they, they spoke uh, input into our church, laid foundations in our church uh, before I even uh, led it, before I was even really a Christian in, back in 1996. Uh, you know, I was at some university, probably hung over somewhere, hugging a toilet, and he's there, like, laying, shaping, saying things that are shaping the life of the church, which ended up shaping my life, and actually now Dylan's life as well. And there's this massive um, legacy uh, that they have left, and it's all it's going all over the world. They're going into Zimbabwe um, next week. Actually, I found out that I've got my brother's going to be there with him as well, so that everything's kind of crisscrossing. And just to say, that only happens if a church is generous to give them away. And I just want to say that the fruit that's coming out of this church is way more than what you would see here on a Sunday or and through the week, although that's fantastic as well. It's just all over the world. And I just want to thank you for being so generous all these years. I know some of you are thinking, like, I just got here like six months ago. I had nothing to do with it. But I want to thank you anyway. It's your church now. So thank you um, very, very much. And just to say, I feel very at home in England. I've been coming to England off and on for, since 2003, and I, love, I actually love the weather uh, it always seems to be sunny when I come, so maybe you should like have me more often, and uh, you know I'll just bring it here with you. But I, I love it. I love uh, the sarcasm in England. I, I love the understated kind of dry sense of humor. I feel very at home with that, and 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 I think I could live here finally because before I wouldn't say that because um, your coffee was terrible, but it's getting it's getting better. So like when you go to Mexico, they say don't drink the water. When you come to England, they say don't drink the coffee, and so but it's getting better. Well done. I think I could be here and. Um, well, hey, what I'd love to talk to you guys tonight, what I am going to talk to you guys tonight about um, is about decision-making, how to make decisions. You know, there's uh, various internet resources, uh, sources say that you and I make upwards of 35,000 decisions every day. Now, some of those are conscious, some of those are unconscious decisions, but up to 35,000, which I thought was kind of, that's, that's too far-fetched. But then I looked at another study from Cornell University, which is a pretty prestigious university uh, in the United States, and they said that uh, we make up to 221 decisions just about food alone. So we're making all of these decisions all the time, which begs the question, what is the framework for how we're making those decisions? What is your framework for how you make decisions. How are those decisions going? Do you have any that you regret yet? I want to talk to you about how to have a framework. I'm going to show you a passage of scripture that you probably have heard before, but it sheds light on on why we actually need the Bible to make these kinds of decisions that will cause us to live uh, the kinds of life that have fewer regrets uh, that cause our lives to flourish and cause the lives of those around us to flourish. And what makes this passage really fascinating is the writer of this passage. So the, the person who wrote this pa- passage uh, it was written by King Solomon. 
For those who don't know about King Solomon, he wrote three books in the Bible. One book, he wrote a book called Proverbs, which is a book that you should read all the time. It's just packed with wisdom. Even modern scholars will look at the wisdom in this book, and they're just like, this is unmatched. And it's great because there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. There's one for every day of the month. And so you, every month of the year and every day of the month, you can read uh, one chapter from Proverbs. You should read as much as you can. Solomon also wrote a book called Ecclesiastes, which you shouldn't read until you're after 40. Because when you read that, you just think he's pessimistic. I mean, life is vanity. It's all pointless. And what, why would you even try? And you're thinking, oh my gosh, what a Debbie Downer. But then you turn 40, you're like, yeah, that's about right. That's kind of how my life is. It's, it's kind of like that. And then he wrote another book called The Song of Solomon that you shouldn't read until you're married or if you think the Bible is boring because there's some pretty illicit stuff in there. In fact, so illicit that what, um, back in ancient times, 14-year-old Jewish boys would sneak into the temple to read it because their parent, you weren't allowed until you were a certain age. And so you need to have, you know, I didn't know if you knew this or not, but you have to have safe search on the Bible if you're not, you, because there's some pretty stuff in there. If you, if you don't know about that, maybe you uh, should read your Bible more often. So the point here is, the point here is, is he's, Solomon just has this wealth of knowledge from all these different subjects, from business to finance to, to marriage to friendship to relationship. He has all of this uh, knowledge. And the reason why he has uh, this knowledge is because when he became a king, he became a king at a very young age, 17, 18, 19 years old. And he was invited by God to ask him for anything. And unlike you and I, you see, if we get those kind of stuff, we would ask for fame, for money, or, or for more wishes. That's the, that's the one, right? In fact, my daughter, I have an eight-year-old, I have a 14-year-old daughter, and I have an eight-year-old daughter. And she's, she's all into Disney's movies. And she, she, she came to me a few months ago. I was just like, Daddy, she's like, I want to give you three wishes. I was like, all right, you know, first I want a hug. So he, she gives me a hug. It's like, okay, I want a kiss. And so I give her a kiss. And then I was like, okay, I want 100 more wishes. And she looked at me stunned. She's like, good one, Dad. And so we, she, that's what Solomon asked for. He asked for wisdom, and God gave him wisdom. So here's, here's what makes this passage so fascinating in, in our subject today. Is that if there was anyone ever who could have said, hey, God, thank you for the wisdom. Thank you for the education. Thank you for the common sense. But you can kind of just go do your other God activities because I've got this covered. If there's anyone who could have said that, it could have been him. When it comes to what path do I take? What school do I go to? You know, how do I live my life? You know, how do I arrange my life? How do I do my finances? How do I do marriage and, and my business and my career? And, you know, where do I live? And all those kinds of things. When, when it came to making those kinds of decisions, he didn't say, hey, I've got this. He didn't even say to others, you know, why don't you just buy my books? You know, like, I, you know, I've got all this wisdom and you can just buy my books and you can have all this wisdom. He didn't do that. Here's, well, what did he do? Well, here's what he did. He did what he wrote down in Proverbs 3. Uh, if we can show this on the screen. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Can we say that all together? Ready? Trust in the Lord. Wait, come on. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. We got to start over. Ready? One, two. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Can I get the men to say this with me? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Can I get just the ladies? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Right-handed people. Ready? No. Okay. 
Trust in the Lord, in his commands, in his ways, uh, in him, with all your heart. That means no hedging. Uh, to trust, and the Hebrew had this idea of kind of like being helpless, um, helplessly laying down, just kind of out there, like no hedging, no plan B. Plan A is to trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then, he's, then he mentions the flip side of this. So it's trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then here's something not to do, which kind of says this, what it says in the beginning. It says, and lean not on your own understanding. And that word lean means to prop yourself up against. It means like you're leaning upon, like a chair or a stool. Like, don't lean on your own understanding. And I, I don't know about you. This is probably true of you. I know it's true of me. My tendency is to lean on my, more, on my own understanding. It's to lean on my experience, my worldview, the books that I've read, the experience that I've gained. And, you know, let me tell you what I used to do when I, you know, I've had this problem before, and this is what I did. I have this tendency to lean on my own understanding. Now, here's the thing. So the Bible's saying, don't do that. Solomon's saying, don't lean on that. Don't depend upon those things. It's not saying, you know, don't read books or don't go to school. So if you're in school, stay in school. Don't, don't leave university or wherever you're going. We, we should be uh, learners. We should grow. We should do all those things. But when it comes to the foundation of how you make decisions, he's saying the foundation has to be trusting in the Lord and not leaning, not propping yourself up on your own understanding. And there is just oodles and oodles and oodles of good examples and bad examples in the Bible of people who had trusted uh, in their own understanding or not trusted on the positive side. I'll give you one of my favorite negative ones, Joshua in the Bible. If you're not familiar with Joshua in the Bible, he was leading Israel in its heyday. I mean, they, they could almost do no wrong. I mean, they were just they won all kinds of battles. I mean, in, in, in crazy ways, Joshua was a guy who marched around Jericho. I mean, how crazy is that? I mean, people were coming to him with like swords and spears. Like, I don't need you guys. You play a flute, a trumpet. Yeah, I need you. You know, tassels, you know, the whole guy. And they just start marching around and he wins this amazing battle in Jericho. And then he wins another one and another one. So he was winning so many battles that everybody in the region was afraid of Israel because they knew that God was with them. He was starting to feel pretty confident in his abilities. You know, I've got, and so there was, but there was this one point, I think it's around Joshua 9, the Gibeonites show up. And, and they knew, they're like, man, there's no way that we can take these on. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to dress in old clothes. We're going to have stale bread and we're going to have our knapsacks. We're going to have all, we're going to tear holes in them, all kind of stuff. And uh, we're going to say that we're from a far, far away place, even though they were basically their neighbors. We're going to tell them we're from a far away place and we need mercy from them. And so they go to him, and what Joshua does, Joshua looks at their situation. Uh, he sees that they have tattered clothes. And then it says this, and he did not inquire from the Lord. And he was totally deceived. He was thinking, man, I, I won this battle. I won this battle. I have all this experience. I've had, I have all this knowledge. I have all this expertise. But he leaned on his own understanding, and it didn't work out for him. We are to lean not on our own understanding, but to trust in him. Proverbs 81, this amazing verse, uh, a passage of scripture. It's personal to me because it's what God used to, to call me out of uh, my mess. And I want to read it to you because it's kind of, it goes along with this. In Psalm 81, 10, it says this. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He's just giving his resume. Just want you to know I was the guy who freed you out of that that pain, he says, open your mouth wide, open your life wide, and I will fill it. Then he says, but my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own. What's that say? 
counsels. They, they begin to trust their own understanding. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies. I don't know if you've got problems. I don't know if you've got enemies in your life. He, he wants to handle those. He wants to, he wants to subdue those for you. And not only that, he wants to feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock. He will satisfy you. He, he, he's just leaning over you, like wanting to give you good things. He's right there. If we would just inquire of the Lord, if we would trust in him, if we would not lean our own understanding, how he wants to, he wants to clear our path and he wants to get rid of our enemies and fill our lives with good things. Every day, you and I are tempted to trust in our own. I can handle this. You know, I'm good with people. I can handle this conversation. You know, I've been married 15 years. I know, I know, I know how to be married. I, you know, I got a business. I know finances. We're very, very tempted all the time to trust in our own understanding. So how do we get this? How do we get this direction from God? Well, this is the key, and this is, this is hard. It, it's, it's one of those S words that we don't like. Submission. Direction from God does not start with a search for direction. Direction from God begins with submission to God. And I just sit down with all kinds of people who just kind of like, God is like, it's a, you know, the Bible's a part of what they do, or it's like maybe even a big part of what they do, but it's not the foundation of what they do. It's not the ultimate. There's, there's other things squeezed and pushed in, but to get direction from God is to make the decision to submit to his will. Check this out. Even before you know what his will is. To submit to his will even before you know what his will is. To say, Lord, you know, I don't, you know, I, I don't even know what you, I can't really understand what you say about marriage, God, but I'm going to submit to you in my marriage. I'm going to submit to you in my finance, even though I don't really know all the things that you're going to say to me about finance. I want to submit to you that way. So having the Bible as your authority, having the Bible as your foundation, isn't this being one of the voices. It's about being the voice. You need to have a, a, a vo- you need to have a God, actually, that can contradict you, because that's what we're afraid of. You see, especially, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's, it's true in the States. I'm sure it's true here that we are afraid of a God who can contradict us. We're afraid of a God who would threaten, you know, our sovereignty. But let me tell you, you need a God who can contradict you. You need a, a God that can't contradict you, can't help you. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, 1 John three twenty, it says, when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. If you serve a God who can't contradict you, how are you ever going to get help when you hate yourself? But a God, but a God who's bigger than your hearts, when your heart condemns you, it's, it's, he's bigger than that. And it's a wonderful thing. Don't be afraid of that. And, and it goes back to how you became a Christian. You see, when you became a Christian, you said something like this, I'm a terrible leader in my life. I could see the way that I'm leading my life. I'm a terrible leader in my life. I want to return from that. I want to trust you. And what the, all Solomon is saying is that you, you go back to that moment and you live that moment out every single day. I'm a terrible leader in my life. I'm going to trust you. Your ways are higher than my ways. It's rebuking the lie in the garden. You remember the lie in the garden? The, the, the serpent comes to Eve and he's like, God's holding something behind his back and he won't let you have it. He's holding out his best. And you can be like him. And we believe that lie every single day. 
but we come back to his word. God, I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you even before I know what your will. And, and, how, and this is the key too. Can we, go, can we go to the next verse? So we trust the Lord in all our heart and lean on our understanding in all of our ways. Not just in some of the ways. Not just in, on Sunday at six o'clock ways. Not just God, I've really screwed up, so I need some kind of like God dust to be sprayed on me. Like I, in all of our ways, in our relational ways, in our career ways, in our, in our health ways, in our, in our uh, relationship ways, in our financial ways. In our, we need, in all of our ways, we acknowledge him. It, to acknowledge him means to put him at the, at the very center of everything that we do. In all your ways, acknowledge him. The technical definition of acknowledge is to accept or admit the truth of their existence. To acknowledge someone is to accept or admit the truth of their existence. At a human level, we understand what it means to not be acknowledged. We've all had the experience, hopefully not here, we've all had the experience of walking into the room and not being acknowledged, not being noticed. And, we, and that's not nice. It's not, it's not pleasant to not be acknowledged. So on, on, on one level, to not be acknowledged is not relational. It's not nice. But it also can be tragic. I mean, if you guys know who um, Bill Gates is, computer expert, Right? Could you raise your hands just so I know that you're alive? Thank you. Thank you. And so, and just so I don't go off on this. So imagine being at your, you know, when, I, when my computer doesn't work, the only thing I know how to do is just like turn it off and on. Like that's the only thing I know how to do. But it's imagine like being at your computer all day and like stressing out, stressing out and not doing, but you have Bill Gates right, right next to you. To not acknowledge who he is and what he can do is like a huge mistake. You just wasted your whole day and you had someone right here who can help you. But you know what? To not acknowledge can also be wrong and evil. See, in our society, human being, in every society does this. It's not just a society. Every society marginalizes someone. Every society doesn't fully acknowledge someone. In my country, for, for decades, for hundreds of years, really, uh, the African-American community was not seen as fully human. They were marginalized. Women were not, were not acknowledged uh, as being equal and, and, not, and not seeing at, at, um, their full capacity. Babies in the womb are not acknowledged as human beings. To not acknowledge someone is not nice, it's not relational, not to notice someone, to not acknowledge them. It can be a tragic mistake, but it can also just be wrong. It can be evil. But guess what? The the, the person that this would be most devastating to, or the the, the worst, the, the biggest failure for us is to not acknowledge God for the fullness that he is. It's not related. He's a father. He, he loves you. He's, he's, he sent his son. He, you know, you, he wanted relationship and you gave him rebellion, but he went after you. He wants, it's not nice. It's, it's also a tragic mistake. It's not just like God knows a few things about a few things. He knows everything about everything. How quickly he would subdue your enemies. How quickly he would feed you with, with honey and with the best wheat. He, it's would be a tragic mistake, but here's, here's the worst part of it is, it's actually evil. It's marginalizing his existence. In John 1, it says, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. They didn't treat him as God. They didn't even really treat him as a human. But they nailed him to a tree. Cursed is everyone who's nailed to a tree. He became a curse for us. He was marginalized by us. 
to acknowledge God in all of our ways is to say, no, I want this relationship. I want to acknowledge your presence every day of my life. And I want, I want to benefit. You, you are, man, you have so much, God, that you want to give me. And it's not just on Sunday, but it's every day of my life. You're with me and you want to give me good things. But God, ultimately, I want to honor you for who you are. Your lordship in my finances, your lordship over my career, your lordship over my health, your lordship over everything in my life. Is, Paul says that you are not your own, that you are bought with a price. It, that's a great time to say amen, by the way. Like, that is like awesome news that we have, we are, he's redeemed us. We, we were over, we were slaves to sin and he, he came by and he paid the ransom price. He paid the redemption price and he set us free, free from our slavery. And we acknowledge that his lordship. And here's the promise. The last one, he says, it says, and he will make straight your paths. Other translations say he will make your paths obvious. Obvious. So the, at the end of the process, as a result of acknowledging him, he will make straight your paths. Now, I don't know if the prosperity gospel is, is a big deal here in, in America that's creeped into the church. And, and they'll say like, hey, if you scratch God's back, he'll scratch yours. That's not what this is saying. It's, it's saying that you fully submit to him and he will make your path obvious. And what does it say in Psalms about the word of God? It says the word of God is a lamp unto our what? Our feet. Not a floodlight into our future, a lamp into our feet. And God gives us this, he makes the path obvious, but he doesn't like make, you know, 2020, 2021, and 2030 obvious. He makes whatever t- tomorrow, I don't even know where I am anymore. It makes tomorrow obvious to us to the step that we are to take every day, every day of our life. As we submit to him, as we trust in him, as we lean not on our own understanding, but we acknowledge him in all of our ways, and that is all of our ways, he will make that step obvious every day of our life. Now here's our problem. We have a lot of problems, but here's a big one. This is not, like a mental challenge. This is not a mental challenge. This is, this is a heart challenge for us. It, it's not a mental one. It's not, it's not a, it's not, oh, I can't understand. This is a heart thing for us. That's why Paul says to the Ephesians that we need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. It's not just that we need our minds renewed, it's that we need to be re- renewed in the spirit of our mind. You see, your mind is not some objective computer analyzing all the data, then presenting all the options to your heart for approval. That's not the way your mind works. Uh, your mind has a spirit. I'll say it this way. You, you, you don't just have a mind, you have a mindset. You don't just have a view, you have a viewpoint. You don't just perceive things, you have a posture. You don't, your mind just doesn't detect things. It has a demeanor, it has an attitude, it has a bent, and it has a bent that's hostile toward God. You remember talking when we were talking about in the garden? We, we, we bought into the lie and we still buy into the lie that God is holding out on us and he's infringing upon our sovereignty and, and our mind doesn't like it and we, you know, we buck and kick at that. And that's, that our mind needs to be renewed from that. Here's the great news of your Christian, that you've been made a new creation. Your spirit, the eternal part of you, that spirit has been made new instantly. But your, your, your mind and your body is still feeling the effects of sin. Your, your mind has ruts in it. It has ways of thinking, patterns of thinking that don't automatically change. It needs to be renewed. It needs to be changed. Now, your body, I'm sorry to tell you this, it's lost. So their outer self is, is wasting, you know, day by day. So if you don't like your body now, it's just going to get worse. So sorry about that. 
But there will be a day where we'll, it says that we will see him and become like him in, an, in a twinkling of an eye. In a twinkling, we're going to see him and become like him. And what will happen to us physically and completely one day is happening to us inside right now, um, internally and spiritually. And we need to have our minds renewed. Now, here's the million-dollar question. Why? Why, 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 why? Why does God do it this way? Why doesn't he fill in more blanks? Why does he keep the future a little bit vague? Why isn't, you know, why can't he just lay my life? You know, like, you know, like we have GPS in our cars. Why can't we have GPS, you know, in our lives? Or like, you know, why can't God, you know, send us, you know, like a transcript of our life? He knows the future. Just give me the transcript. Tell me what I'm supposed to do and I'll do it. Why does he do it this way? Here's why he does this way. Because the big picture of God is that he's a father who wants a family and he wants intimate relationship with you. God's, God just, just, just doesn't want you to make good decisions. He just doesn't want you to be good little boys and girls. He wants intimate relationship with you. Nailing it, your life, not getting, getting your life right, doing the, the job and the, and the career and the place and the, you know, even in the church world, like, you know, what's God's will for my, like this big grandiose thing? And here's God's will for your life, that you would be in intimate relationship with him. And he wants to guide you. He wants to walk you day in and day out. And he knows you. You see, I'm a father. Like, I, I don't, I, I just, I would rather have imperfect kids. Well, the good news is I do have imperfect kids, so check. Who, who, who love me and at times even need me than to have perfect little boys and girls who do everything right, but there's really no relational connection. Your father in heaven is the same way. He wants connection with you. He wants relationship with you. He wants to walk with you day. That's why the Bible calls it a walk. He literally wants to walk with you. I'm here. I'm present. How quickly I would subdue their enemies. How quickly I would feed them with the finest of wheat and of honey. But they, they were stubborn. They wouldn't listen. They, they, they sought their own counsel. So here's some questions for reflection as we close here. What does it look like for you to acknowledge God in all your ways? Or let me say it a different way. Are there ways into which you're not acknowledging God? I mean, I threw out several as we're speaking. Maybe it's in your career. God, you can have all my life, but, you know, career. Or you can have all my life, but not finances. You can have all my life, but not this relationship. You can have all my life, but I'm going I'm to control this part of my life. What, what, what could that be for you? And maybe that might be a little bit hard for you to de- detect, and, and I get that. Or maybe it's super obvious and you know that, but I, I bet you your friend would know. I bet you asked your friend, is there something that I'm kind of hidden about? I bet you they would know. And, and maybe you might want to get with them tonight and just ask them that question if you're really not sure. Just to say, hey, where, is there a part of my life that's just not open to being challenged? Is there a part of my life that's just not open to acknowledging God, acknowledging him relationally, acknowledging him for what he can do, acknowledging his lordship in all of your ways. What could that be for you? Here's another thing I thought about. I thought, even though I I could see some young faces that maybe, just maybe though, some of you have made a mistake in the past. Maybe, maybe just once, just one time. 
that you might have made a mistake, you know, or maybe you know someone who made a mistake. There might be someone here who's made a mistake. And so even, even now, so I, I know what it's like in a room like this. Some of you are just like hard cases and like, you know, you just, you know, it just takes a while to get through. But some of you, even as I began to speak, I mean, as I began to talk about making bad decisions, you just like sunk lower and lower and lower in your chair. That you, you know that there's decision that you make that you regret, pain that you caused to, to others maybe or to yourself, something that caused you to feel guilty, something that caused you to feel shame. Or maybe somebody else made a decision that's caused you bitterness and anger as well as shame. I just want to say, it's why you need a God who can contradict you. When our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Lamentations 3 says his mercies are new every morning. He never gets tired of showing mercy. You know, I'm going to get tired. If you know me, I'm tired. You know, I, I, I last a, a day and a half and it's like, but God's mercy is new every morning. Every day he wakes up with fresh with energy to give you mercy. And he wants to do that. Would you allow God to redeem your past? He wants to redeem you because he has a purpose for you. We heard about that in worship. God's drawing us into a purpose. I'm just thinking about what this community could do. See, that's what God wants to do. God wants to create communities to make them salt and light. People who have made terrible decisions, people who have messed up, and he wants to show them uh, his mercy and redeem their life and make them this light and to make them this salt that's different, that pops out. It's what it says actually in Philippians 2, I think verse 14, that as we hold fast to the word of life, as we begin to live our lives according to God's word, we pop out like lights among a crooked generation. I think us coming together like this, coming together around the word of God, coming together, making the word of God the foundation of our life. We as a community are going to pop out in this community and many others will be drawn in as we are healed in the process. And you'll have stories to tell. Tonight, when you come to him and say, God, will you heal me of my past? You'll have a story to tell. You say, this is what God did to me. I used to think, yeah, just like you, I thought it was all about, you know, being good little boys and girls, but I found out it's about a relationship and he redeemed me and healed me. So why don't we do this? Why don't we stand? I just would love, love to pray for you guys.